Welcome to the Family Church Sermon Podcast. Join us each week as we look to the Bible to seek out what it means to love God passionately and love people personally. For more information about our weekly gatherings and how you can be part of our outreach, visit jointhefamily.church. Jumping off from uh, Luke 6 this morning. Um, So we're going to get there in just a second. I'm going to give you a second to get there. Uh, Again, it's about that far, in case you're not familiar. If you've got a, a paper Bible... It's about there. If you've got a, you know, your phone app or anything like that, Luke's going to be in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third gospel. Uh, Luke 6 is where we're going to jump off in just a second. Before we get there, though, worship was beautiful. Amen. Like, oh my goodness. I, I have the privilege of sitting up here in the front so I could hear everybody behind me. And it was beautiful. Last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday. And... Uh, I say that to say Pentecost was recent, but it got me thinking, uh, Acts 2.1 is, uh, and I'm going to read it from the King James. It says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. One accord means they had one purpose. They were together with, for one purpose and for one reason. And as I was standing in worship, that's what I was hearing behind me, was a bunch of people together for one purpose, Amen. to celebrate the king. To, to pour out thankfulness and love to Jesus. That is absolutely beautiful. Um, and that does tie into what we're going to talk about today because I, I truly believe that if we can be that purposeful about loving others as we are about praising and singing together, the difference we can make in this world is just Amen. unbelievable. Amen. I mean, we look at what the, uh, the original 12 disciples did. 12 of them. We got more than 12. We're off to a better start. They changed the world. Because they had one purpose, make Christ known and love their neighbors. Um, so I just, I just wanted to encourage you. Uh, okay, we're going to jump. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 27. <clears throat> this is not going to be a fun message, just so we're clear. We're talking about loving others. And we're going to start with Jesus' words about loving others. Verse 27, but I say to you who hear, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Take one to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And the one who begs from you, I'm sorry, the one who takes your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from the one who takes away your good, do takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who, who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lead, lend to those who you expect to receive with credit all that is yours, even sinners lead to sinners and get paid back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. These are hard, challenging words. Because Jesus is being very clear. Don't just love people who are like you. Don't just love people who you like. Miss Nancy and I were talking about that this morning. We are called to love people. But there are some people we don't like. I always joke, I joke around that there's a lot of EGRs in our life. Anybody ever heard the term EGR? Extra grace required. 
general rule of thumb, you look around your life and if you don't see the EGR, you are the EGR. <laughs> general rule you can follow. We are called to love people. It doesn't matter if we like them. It doesn't matter what they've done to us. We are called to love them. Amen. So we're, we're in part three here. Part one was loving God. Brother Andre talked about loving God with a passionate love, an exclusive love, and a focused love. We're going to see that if we put God first, if we focus our attention on him and love him with everything we have, that's the first thing we need to do. Last week we looked at we need to understand who we are and to love ourselves in order to love others. Look to Christ as our example. Learn to forgive ourselves. Uh, know who we are. And then humble ourselves. And now this week we're going to look at what it means to actually love others. And the way I want to do this is we're going to look at just four examples from the Bible. Because examples are powerful. Examples are very helpful. Examples are just fantastic things to be able to look at, to know, how, how can I actually play this out? But the truth is, these are just examples. Because really, how you love somebody else in your own life is only limited by your own imagination and the situation you're in. But these are examples that are going to help jump us off, or giving us, give us a jumping off point to, to be able to look at some different situations and how some different people in the Bible have loved others as themselves. So first, we're going to start with Jonathan's love for David. Now, if you're not familiar, Jonathan and David, Old Testament characters, about a thousand years before Jesus. Jonathan was the prince, the firstborn son of the first king of Israel. He was the one who was ready to rule and inherit everything from his father. David was a lowly shepherd boy who, unbeknownst to Jonathan, was anointed king. And we talked about that a little bit last week. Fifteen years old, anointed king, and then sent back to take care of the sheep. Well, here is Jonathan and David meeting for the first time. Jonathan, prince over Israel. 1 Samuel 18, chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, that was David, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. And then Jonathan made a covenant, which is like a legal agreement, with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Again, this is about a thousand years before Jesus, but Jonathan does here is very similar to what we read in Philippians last week. Jesus didn't take and consider what was rightfully his as something to be used for his own example and said he laid it aside for the good of somebody else. We see Jonathan doing that here. Again, Jonathan meant to be king eventually. Sets all that aside because he loves David. His soul is knit to David's and he's like, I'm going to do anything for him. And he gives us some good examples of what it means to love another person. The first thing Jonathan does, and Jonathan does a few things, but we're going to look at just two, is Jonathan warns David. First Samuel chapter 19, verse 2, Jonathan, uh, it says, and Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Now, you could say, of course, well, if you know somebody wants to kill somebody else, you tell them. That's a nice thing to do. But really, he doesn't have any reason to do that, especially in this time and, and the way things exist. David is meant to be king and take over Jonathan's whole household. But Jonathan hears that his father is plotting against him, saying things against David. Jonathan warns his friend. 
He warns this person he loved. We, did, we, could, we have these opportunities in our own life all the time. If you hear somebody talking about somebody, you can, you can interject and you can let them know. Hey, I just want you to know, I'm not talking about you, but these people are gossiping. It's a simple thing we can do to show love for other people. They're just basic, simple things. Next thing he does, 1 Samuel, again, chapter 19, verse 4, says, And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father. He spoke well of him. Again, it sounds like something so simple, but it really is an act of love for another person. It is to, uh, let's say you're at, you're at work, right? And, uh, you know, you hear uh, your boss say, oh, you know, if, if, if Bill doesn't get his stuff together one more time, he's out the door. Well, to show love is you could go over to Bill and be like, hey, I just want to let you know they are getting ready to fire you, so you need to shape up. It's simple, but those are easy, just basic, everyday ways that we can show love to another person is we let them know things that we hear about them and we speak well of them. So that's it. That's a really simple first point. Love is shown in the actions we have towards others and the words we speak when they're not present. It's an easy thing to do, to show love to another person. We're starting with the easy one because we're going to progressively get harder and more difficult and uncomfortable. Giving and generosity. So we're just going straight there. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty has overflown in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, to their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and in your in our love for you, see to, the, see to it that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove the earnestness, to prove by the earnestness of others your love is genuine. Paul here is talking about this church, and he's saying this church is an example of love, and we know they're an example of love because they give. Now, we don't oftentimes like to talk about finances and things like that, but the Bible's full of financial talk. Jesus says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So we, we talk about things like giving and generosity because it opens a window into your heart. We say things like follow the money, you know, in our society, which means if you follow the trail of money, you'll know what's important to a person and you'll know who's getting something out of something. We look at money and generosity, and it's good for many reasons. One, it makes money a tool and not a master. Two, it makes us think about what we do with our resources. Three, it honors God and gives a portion back to the one who gives to us. And four, it's an expression of love. And we know money in giving to certain things is an expression of love because we value money. We value it because it has a value. Now, I got some change here. A penny. <laughs> it's not what I was expecting to grab. Very little value. Right? We see these on the sidewalk all the time. 
Now, when I was younger, we used to pick them up because I could buy penny candy. Uh, but at this point, I'm not even gonna pick it up. Okay, a quarter. <laughs> we'll save that for later. A quarter, a little bit more value, right? Value. We, we associate some sort of value with this thing. What I do with that tells me how much I value something else, right? So uh, we go to the store, we went grocery shopping yesterday. Oh, grocery shopping is horrible lately. Uh, but anyway, we go grocery shopping and we're looking at stuff and what do we do? There are things we need and things we want. We look at some of the things we want and go, well, how much is it? So last week I mentioned we love Ben and Jerry's ice cream. So we did not buy any this week. Uh, because the value wasn't there, right? I say, okay, it's uh, $6 for Ben and Jerry's. Well, I don't, I don't feel like that's gonna, I don't wanna trade the value I have for that thing of value. It's not worth it to me. But, because we, you know, anybody who has kids has done this, we love our kids, our kids ask for something sometimes, and we'd like, I love you, and it's worth it to me to buy this thing for you because it has value to show I love you. Giving is, is about value. What do we value? Then we give to that thing. Because we give to things all the time. And so Paul here is talking about just that if we give, it shows that we love. Love is shown when we give because we are loved. Amen. Amen. And I would add this, a spirit of generosity is evidence that you have love for others. Number three, again, progressively we're going to get a little more difficult here. Care for the weak and the outcast. This is also known as the parable of the sheeps, sheep and goats in Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. It's a bit of scripture, so bear with me. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him he will gather all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep and goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And then the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Amen. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me food. Or you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did not do to the least of one of these, you did not do to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Jesus here is talking about the end times when, he, when he's going to judge everything finally. And what he's saying is one of the things he's going to base that judgment on is what did we do to the, for the lowest and the neediest among us? Truly, I say to you, as you did to the least of these, my brothers, you did to me. 
Jesus is saying that our love is seen in, in how we operate, how we do things for those around us. This is one of the hardest things because we have poor and needy around us all the time. I mean, we, we, you go to Walmart, there, there's usually somebody standing there with a sign. Uh, we were at uh, Marshall's a couple weeks ago, there's somebody standing there with a sign. It's hard because we have needy people all around us. And in a city like New Orleans, we especially have needy people. In a warm client, we especially have needy people. So it can become overwhelming. And then we start to wrestle with things in our own head, like, well, how do I know if I give to them? They're not just going to use it on drugs or something else. We have all these questions that can come in front of us, all these things weighing us down. But I think there's a, a way that we can boil it down to its simplest terms to know how do we care for the lowest and the neediest among us. And it's, it's a simple question. Am I willing to be inconvenienced? That's it. One simple question I truly believe can help guide you as you figure out how in your life do you care for the lowest and the neediest. Am I willing to be inconvenienced? Because to anything else we're going to do, if we're going to visit widows and orphans, as James talked about, visit those in prison, feed the hungry, anything else, it's coming down to am I being willing to be inconvenienced? Again, value. Am I willing to trade my time for these people? Am I willing to, to be inconvenienced? Am I willing to sacrifice my time for the good of someone else? That's the heart of the question. Not how much money did you give, not what did you accomplish for them. Were you willing to sacrifice yourself, sacrifice your time for the good of someone else? That one question is going to guide us through everything else. Because we love when we serve the least of these. It's not going to be done by accident. We have to be intentional. You're never accidentally going to serve the lowest and the neediest. Maybe theoretically you could, but probably not. It's something that is difficult, something that is going to take something from you. And depending on who you are, this might be much harder than money. I know people who will just give money away like nothing. But you ask them to do something for you, uh, how about I just give you a 20? I'll take the 20, but it's hard to serve people this way. Lastly, we're going to look at forgiveness. Again, I think, and maybe you disagree, but I think this is probably the hardest one. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 32, and then chapter 5, verse 1. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. This is a very difficult thing, forgiveness. This is hard to do. But we are called to uh, be like Jesus, right? God, the Father, is molding us into the image of his Son. Well, one of the things that Jesus did was he became, uh, he was God incarnate. Now, if you're not familiar with that word incarnate, it just means putting skin to it. Jesus was God with skin on. God in human form, in flesh, 100% man, 100% God. That was God's ultimate expression and act of love, grace, and mercy towards the human world. As he says, I'm going to come down to your level 
live among you, experience everything you do, do it sinlessly, and then die on a cross for your sins. That's, that's, that's God showing and proving his love towards us. We are called to be love incarnate as well, which means we are called to put skin on our love. If we make this claim about love and, and care and loving others, we are called to put skin on it. Forgiveness is one of the best ways you can show love for others because it puts skin on something. Unforgiveness, one of my favorite quotes, is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It sits in you and it's bitter and it builds up and then all of a sudden you've got hostility raging and, and growing towards another person. But the problem is, is it doesn't just become that person. Now you've got bitterness and, and hostility and raging towards a group of people. Anybody who you think might slight you in the same way. And soon what happens when you're being unforgiving is, is it start, like I said, it starts with that one person. Now it's other people and now you just start to project what someone might do and you don't like them either and you start to become hard and callous all the while that that person who originally hurt you there's a good chance they've moved on with their life they probably don't even remember hurting you or even care sometimes even if they remember they just don't care we are called to forgive Again, forgiveness is one of the most powerful expressions of love we can have because it identifies us with Jesus. Amen. Like, like we talked about right here in the beginning with Luke, someone strikes you, turn the other cheek. Jesus didn't just say that. The Gospels specifically record that he did that. The Jesus, the, the perfect, innocent son of God, is, they strike him on one cheek and he turns to them the other. He's dying on the cross and he says, Forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. Forgiveness is not easy. Nowhere in the Bible does it talk about forgiveness as being this easy thing to do, but it says it's a necessary thing to do. It is necessary for two primary reasons. One, because God said so. Like, that's it. Like, uh, how many times does God have to say something for it to be true? Once. And he says it a lot. Two, it releases you. Okay, so I, I don't, I want this to be like super clear though. I would never minimize the pain anybody feels. Some horrible and horrific things could have, and I know probably have happened to people in this room. That if we all got together in a circle and started sharing some of the hardest things that have ever happened to us, there would be weeping. There would be crying we would look at each other in a completely different way. All of a sudden, those annoying things you do, well, that makes sense now. I get it. I know why you do it that way. They hurt you real bad. So I'm never going to minimize the pain somebody feels. You still need to forgive. But what is forgiveness not? Right? Let's look at what forgiveness is not. It is not pretending something never happened. Okay? Uh, it's not forgetting. You know, people say, forgive and forget. I, I, I can't do that. I have tried to just forget it. Oh, forget it. It's not important. Well, no, it is important. It hurt me. It hurt you. It is important. Forgiveness is not just pretending it never happened. Forgiveness is not just forgetting. Forgiveness is not giving somebody a free pass. 
Forgiveness isn't telling somebody, okay, well, you can do whatever you want. That is not forgiveness. Actions have consequences. This is the reason we have prisons. This is the reason we ground our children. Actions have consequences, but forgiveness still exists. I found two definitions of forgiveness that I think were really helpful. One, letting go of the pain the incident is causing us. The psycho, uh, it was a, bless you, psycho, psych, I can't say that word, psychological, I don't know, one of those websites uh, where psychiatrists publish things. I can't think of that word for the life of me, I'm sorry. But it's letting go of the pain the incident is causing us, and I think that's helpful. Another one from a biblical website says, a conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance towards a person or a group who has harmed you, regardless of whether they actually deserve your forgiveness. I think that just the first part of this is super helpful. A conscious and deliberate decision. It's intentional, regardless of whether or not they deserve it, regardless of whether or not they ask for it. And it's not always something that we, we're able to just do. I think, oh, I forgive. That, uh, that trauma you caused me, I forgive it. No worries, not a problem. Those uh, 15 years of physical abuse never happened. No big deal. All that money you stole from me, forgotten all about it. I forgive you. No, it's usually you make the decision to forgive, and depending on how deep the pain and how tragic the situation, it's an ongoing process. Where there are days where you wake up and you go, Jesus, help me forgive. I forgive whoever, my dad, my mom, my brother, my sister, me, my wife, whatever it might be. Sometimes it's months later, and you're doing something, you're, you're watching TV, and, and something happens, and you go, Jesus, I forgive them. Because you never know what's going to make that thing come back up. But if you're making a conscious and deliberate decision to forgive, then when Jesus brings those things back up, you're going to be attentive to it and go, I forgive. And it's hard. It is not easy. It is probably, again, and I think this is the most powerful thing we can do as Christians is to forgive. But I also believe that it is the most difficult thing we can do. That's what makes it so powerful. That's what makes it so powerful to an outside world who doesn't get it. I would say... When we forgive, we let go of the pain and we release the person into God's hands. We say, I'm not going to hold on to this. I'm, I'm going I'm to put this thing aside. We love by forgiving. And we forgive because God forgives us. It is the ultimate expression of love. It is the ultimate expression of love. Nothing is greater as an expression of love than forgiving. Now, again, I just want to be careful with this because I don't want anybody to get themselves in a bad situation. That penny's driving me crazy. <laughs> I said I wasn't going to pick it up. I'm not going to pick it up. It's so hard because there are times 
where either for a period or for the future, foreseeable future, you don't let somebody near you again. And by near you, I mean like in your emotional space, right? Like uh, we all have this emotional bubble around us. We're gonna be careful of who we let inside of that. If somebody has harmed you, deeply emotionally, deeply physically, sexually, whatever it might be, forgiving them doesn't mean you allow them back in this bubble. I just want to be real clear about that. Like, there are consequences to actions. You're forgiving them. You're putting them in God's hands. You're saying, I'm not going to hold on to that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to continue to drink that poison, but you can't come in here anymore. I just want to be real careful with that one because I know from experience and in, in talking with other people in life, it doesn't mean you let somebody back in your emotional bubble. Sometimes it means somebody can work their way back to showing that they are trustworthy enough to come back into your emotional bubble. But that can take a while. It's a little side point because I think it's really important. Now, again, I, I don't have a lot of points for today. It, just, it was four simple examples that we could look at because I want us to take this and think to ourselves, how do I show love to others in my life? In my life, Jesus, what would you have me do to show love to others? The four we looked at, love is shown in the actions we have towards others and the words we speak when they're not present. Simple thing. So simple things like don't gossip. That's an easy way to show love. Don't talk bad about somebody behind their back. More importantly, let them know if you hear something. Because we don't do that a lot in our world. Second, love is shown when we give because we're loved. Giving is an example of showing love. Amen. Amen. We love when we serve the least of these. Because it's not done by accident, we have to be intentional. Sacrificing your time is hard, but it shows love. Because again, I go back to Jesus. Jesus is my example for everything. Jesus left the perfection of heaven. Talk about setting something aside and coming and, and, and setting his own time aside. And we forgive, we love by forgiving. And we forgive because God forgives us. Amen. Ultimate expression of love. For this last one, if that's something that you need to work on, then I highly encourage you to talk to somebody if that's what you need to do as well. Talk to Pastor Dean. He's great with that. You can talk to me. I'm only here for 17 more days, though. And then you got to talk to Dean. Sorry, Dean. But, like, you could, we do this together, too. So, like, if you don't have people around you, get into community with other Christians that you can talk to and be like, hey, so here's the situation. I want to do better about showing love. I've got this coworker, my dad, my mom, whoever it might be. I'm trying to find some ways I can love them better. <coughs> We get into community with others, and we spur each other on towards that. Because then, just like we said in the beginning, just like with worship, we were all gathered together in one accord. Just like on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit moved powerfully. If we can gather together in one accord with loving others, we are unstoppable. A force to be reckoned with. We have to be intentional about it. So again, that's all I have for you this morning. Four simple points. More importantly than anything, love others. Amen. Amen. 
love them. It starts, like we said last week, though, with loving yourself and knowing who you are. And so we're going to take some time during response. And what I want to do, once again, we always offer this, is if you don't know Jesus, now is a time that you don't ever want to waste. Now is a time for you to be able to say, Jesus, I can't do that. And if I'm honest, I don't even want to. Because I need to know that you love me. And this is a great time to do that. Response is also a great time if you need prayer with somebody. Uh, Praying about forgiving somebody, uh, giving, uh, finding other ways to love others. This, this response time, uh, Pastor Dean, myself, and Julie will be up here. and This is a great time to come up for prayer. So I would just encourage that we do that. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word that just tells us to love. And so clearly, Jesus, you say, don't just love those who love you. And don't just love those who are like you. You call us to follow your example of sacrificial love. Jesus, I ask that in my own life, first and foremost, that you help me to do that. Help me to love like you do. Help it to be true in my life. Help it to be true in all of our lives, Jesus. Do something amazing and profound in us. Then we can do that outward as well. Or as we take this time to respond, Lord, I just pray that you open our ears to anything you might be saying. Let us hear you. Let us see you, Jesus. And Jesus, be glorified in our lives. Amen. Please stand.